You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition, wrapping up the OT. Er, the OT, the original trilogy, with Return of the Jedi, every kid of my generation's favorite Star Wars movie, and man, does it not hold up for an adult. That would be my quick hot take. It's fun. It's fun. But I don't know. Let's just talk about it. My name is Nathan Iverson, humble and obedient host. We've got Pastor Jacob Menzel there. Big Star Wars fans, both of us. Coming from different angles. Nathan, the lifelong childhood Star Wars fan. Me, the late blooming. <laughs> yeah. And I like... <laughs> I'm maybe, late to the party. If I'm actually being honest about what I would want to turn on, almost none of it now. Yeah. yeah. But, and Jake would say Clone Wars. I, and he said it many times. Or Rebels. Rebels. Or Rebels. But let's talk about... <sighs> or The Mandalorian, which is coming soon. I'm excited about that. I am excited about that, too. Well, let's talk about Return of the Jedi, 1983. George Lucas had all the money, spent all the of his own money, made exactly the movie that he wanted to make. Unfortunate. Strange to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beginning of the end, I guess. This is like, I don't know. I don't know. We could speculate. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Let's just talk about it. This is a good movie. Do you like Return of the Jedi, Jake? Well, as a kid, it was my favorite. Yeah, because of the set pieces, right? Like yeah. you have Ewoks fights, you have, you just have a big Jabba's ending. Palace, don't Jabba's Palace. That. You've got you've the got big the throne the, room, the barge fight. You've got the space battle. You've got you got the coolest lightsaber fight to that point. Yep, I think the prequels wiped the floor with it, and I know that's a controversial opinion. People love the old boring lightsaber fights. I like new cool lightsaber fights. But Luke still looks like he doesn't know how to wave a stick at somebody, but it's still better. Yeah, especially if those people are paid stuntmen who will fall over whether the stick touches them or not which is what that barge scene looks a lot like. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) People like to make fun of in the throne room fight in Last Jedi. There's some really goofy red guards that are standing to one side and kind of dancing around to give the scene motion. But if you actually just take like a little, take that fragment of film and just concentrate on the guy, you're like, why is he not attacking right now? (laughs) Which there's an art to that. They actually teach that. I forget what it's called, but they teach people, you know, stuntmen learn how to, give motion and meaning to a scene like that so it doesn't look like we're all standing in a circle and attacking you know john wick one at a time so he can kill us because the fact of any of those scenes where one guy is fighting a bunch of guys is that if they all just heaped on top of him it would be over but instead they goofily take turns and are quickly dispatched so stuntmen have to really sell that by flailing around and tripping and just making it look like they can't make it over for whatever mm-hmm. reason, which they do a pretty good job because you don't actually think about that a lot. And at least of movies. not anymore, at least not anymore, but return of the Jedi, I would say not the best when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially the, well, actually the whole thing. Um, uh, there's a couple of moments like that in the barge fight. And then later on when uh, the teddy bears attack and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Don Solo grabs some stormtrooper and, you know, slams him to the ground or something like that. And it's like, why didn't a dozen people just shoot the crap out of him while he was slowly doing that? But maybe that's just, maybe expectations of choreography and movies have changed. Maybe action scenes have just gotten faster and more realistic. More realistic. Everything has. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I said, like we began this by saying this was a cool movie. And this would have been my favorite. I, I remember, I think probably every Star Wars fan has the same journey. You, you watch, I mean, from my era, at least from our era, you watch the first one and, and then you watch the second one and the second one's kind of boring. And by the second one, I mean Empire Strikes Back and it's not your favorite. And then Return of the Jedi is like your favorite because it's got all this cool action. And then you realize that actually you're cool and sophisticated and Empire Strikes Back, in fact, 
is your favorite. Mm-hmm. And then other Star Wars movies come out and complicate the whole thing. But anyway, Return of the Jedi. I want to walk through the movie. Right. I also want to talk about that movie in the context of the prequel trilogy and in the context of, you might be surprised to hear this, uh, Clone Wars. Oh, Jake, you're going to bring some <laughs> Clone Wars knowledge. Okay, folks, we have a first. Let's not depress this here. <laughs> no, let's talk about it. So we're, we'll, we'll do a walkthrough here in a little bit, but let's talk okay. about any thoughts you have big picture regarding. Okay. Here's the first thing that I want to say that just, I want to put everybody on notice. My kids, when they watched this movie and they came to the end of it, they were crying when it was all over. And the reason they were crying is because for them, Star Wars to this point is the story of Anakin Skywalker. And Anakin died. Anakin turned back to the good side. Anakin did what he, we always knew he always did, Mm -hmm. which is he's not going to let the person that he loved die. He's going to do the right thing in the end. He did it in the end. It killed him finally. And then he died. And then the real true Anakin Skywalker that we all know and love was there as a force ghost at the end of it, Hmm. namely Hayden Christensen. Christensen. (laughs) And my kids lost it. And Jake sent me photographs of his kids and you can see in the photographs, there are tears in their eyes. We have photographic evidence that they saw Hayden Christensen (laughs) force ghost. And they lost it. it. They lost it. And the Anakin that we get in Clone Wars is based stylistically on Hayden Christensen's appearance. So I want to just sort of, for all the the haters who have always been like, I can't believe they put Hayden Christensen Mm -hmm. in there, in the, you know, they went back and edited it. That was for the kids that grew up, for the people that have watched and known this to be the story of Anakin Skywalker and not the story of Luke. That was a really powerful thing to do. Actually, it was the right move. And I don't care who you are or what you say. Well, because if you're a bitter 40-year-old nerd who thinks Star Wars sucks, guess what? Star Wars doesn't belong to you. <laughs> guess who it belongs to? I mean, in one sense, it belongs to the Disney Corporation. But if it belongs to any, if, if we want to talk about it belonging to any fans, it belongs to kids. It was it was made for, for them. kids. It's a, these are kids' movies. <laughs> They've always been kids' They've movies. They've always been kids' movies. <laughs> they're not when you, when you try and look at them through adult eyes, they're not particularly good. <laughs> but as kids' movies, they're wonderful. And George Lucas, I think, in ways that maybe we we aren't even aware. Of. Maybe you and I, Jake, aren't even aware of. You probably more so because you have kids. George Lucas knew what he was doing, right? Like he yeah. puts Hayden Christensen in there. Even something as dumb, like the really dumb change in this movie is when Darth Vader grabs- No! 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 (laughs) Before he throws Palpatine down the shaft or whatever. Yeah. I mean, for a kid, it might be like, that's the thing he said. When he found out Padme. No, it's like, it's one of his things. It's his thing. He says no. (laughs) He says no. (laughs) It resonates because the, the deep, real, true Anakin- at the bottom of it, if you're going to threaten the person he loves or something's going to happen to the person he loves, no, I will not let that happen. Mm -hmm. Or I will be devastated if it does and this will not be how it goes. And so even that, yeah, I think they do. (laughs) I think they do. I think there's a logic to adding no in that resonates on the level of a kid who just, who gets fundamentally who Anakin is, which I admit, you can't really get it from the, the prequels. Right. <laughs> but if you have 
watched Clone Wars and you've listened to me talk about this, or if you, or if you just trust me, the one thing that is true of Anakin Skywalker is that Anakin does not let people down. He will not lose the people he loves. And that's why he does awesome things. And that's why he's an awesome Jedi. And that's part of what contributes to his turn to the dark side. But that's who Anakin is. Anakin never gives up. He is that sort of quintessential American anti-hero. Everything you love about Han Solo. Right. But with force powers, just the coolest superpowered dude. But everything you love about a Han Solo or an Indiana Jones mm-hmm. of you beat him up, you can take him, to, you can do whatever, but he's just going to keep his, his real superpower is just his relentless commitment to protecting the people he loves yep. and, to, and to winning the day. The only thing I want to say is everything that I love about Han Solo, I'm pretty sure died in episode <laughs> five because that was my big takeaway watching this movie as an adult. My, my overarching theme that I'm going to return to again and again as we do our walkthrough is that Han Solo sucks in this movie. Like the real Han Solo died and he was replaced by this twerp that steps on twigs and everybody rolls their eyes when he says he's going to take care of it. Yeah. And he just sucks. And he's like all petulant. Could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? Like, yeah. that's not my Han Solo. <laughs> I mean, I know he's always been a narcissistic jerk, but man, he's also a cool cowboy kind of character. And I feel like that just all got frozen in carbonite and never got thawed. Yeah. Thought back out. So you make fair point. But let's walk through this. So the first thing I noticed about this movie, can I just say the 20th Century Fox logo? I really miss it. Yeah. I've been thinking about that in the fan in the Fox fanfare. Yeah, the fanfare. Yeah. Every time we watch one of these movies, I've been thinking about that with reference to with the new trilogy. I don't know what it's just part of it. It's just part of the excitement and the mystique. It's the the Fox fanfare and logo. And a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then you wait for bum, bum. Yeah. yeah, the theme to hit, and that's all part of the anticipation of it. Right. And that Fox fanfare is a smart thing. Mm-hmm. You kind of wish, and it, Disney's bought Fox now. Put I wouldn't back, be surprised. If of, they put it back. That'd be great. If they put it back for this movie, people... I wouldn't be surprised if the if the if the theater there was went applause. nuts. If yeah. there was applause, yeah, and the fan, the stupid corporate logo could actually get applause. I I would not be yeah shocked either. Well, it's interesting. Lucas invented. You know, you watch an Avengers movie. It doesn't usually start with credits. Title. Like it doesn't start with. It'll start with a cold open a lot of times. But then when the title comes, it's usually just a title, and you don't get a cool sequence of animation or or whatever it is, or even just the characters doing things while you have like the name Robert Downey Jr. Like all those names, all the actors' names and producers' names and stuff are saved for the end, as opposed to like a classic James Bond movie where James Bond does his cool action scene and then we get a song and some dancing girls and yeah. a title sequence. George Lucas was was the auteur that did away with title sequences and he did that for a specific reason because he wanted to set the tone and then just jump people into the story in a really exciting way. And now everybody does it. You know, that's what Marvel does. Yeah. That's what Avengers does. But... George Lucas invented that and it cost him financially because I don't remember who it is, the Writers Guild, the Producers Guild, the uh, unions that wanted their names up front find him on, I think they let him get away with it on Star Wars. Like they said, we'll give you a one-off. But then when he came back and did it on Empire Strikes Back, he had to pay for it, millions of dollars, if I'm mm. not mistaken, because, and he just paid the fine. He's just like, I'm going to break the rule and pay the fine. Well, actually what happened was he got so fed up with a f- couple things like that 
that he left the guild. He left the director's guild. He, re- he left the writer's guild. And that is supposedly the reason that he was not able to hire his first choice for Return of the Jedi as director, a man that worked for the guild, who was... Lawrence Kasdan? No. Oh. No, really, really famous director. Steven Spielberg? Steven Spielberg. Yeah. yeah. Instead, he had to hire some... Kasdan would have been the writer that he would have wanted. Yeah. And I think Kasdan did work on it, maybe. I don't know. I don't know which guild. Oh, I man. Think... Imagine. Yeah. I didn't know that that was true, but... Yeah. Imagine Spielberg's. Imagine how much better Spielberg's... Return of the Jedi would have been one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah. Bring some real nuance to some of those emotional scenes. Well, just think of... Or just think of what Spielberg does to an action... To, to those action scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they'd be so much... The, they would the still hold up. Yeah. They would still hold up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As action scenes. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark action scenes are they still hold up. They're, they're still, still like yeah. you're on a roller coaster ride. Yeah, he's just a master of designing that. But I do want to say the opening to Star Wars is really important and really influential, just the way those movies open. And it's great. It's so... I love... What's happened a lot of times, like with... Marvel still kind of actually does it because they'll have like an opening scene and then Thanos is up to no good and our heroes are making a plan and then suddenly bum bum and we see the avengers logo flash across the screen and we're all you yeah. know if you're in a first night audience everybody'll clap yeah uh, and and before that they'll have the just the marvel pre-roll right that they do and it's all i mean everybody does that but it's part of it it's part of the experience for a Marvel movie in the way that it isn't part of the experience for other movies. Right. You watch a lot of movies. I just think they really botch it by not really doing much. They, they'll take the lesson from Lucas of not including a bunch of credits, but instead they'll just include one credit and then get into the movie. And I think they're not actually thinking about the most effective way to start their movie. And I think for a lot of people, it actually is for a lot of movies, it actually is a credit sequence, you know, like a James Bond movie can really maybe not in a good way because it's got all the dumb flesh on display, but some of the newer ones have cut down on that. And it's still just a great, it's a great opportunity to hear a pop song, you know, to hear Adele and uh, see what the movie is going to be about and to really set the tone, you know, Oh, this one's about James Bond getting chased through a desert and there's going to be oil or there's going to be this. It's supposed to get you pumped, right? A lot of movies just don't bother get you pumped what i like about the avengers is that they'll get you pumped but i think maybe the ultimate get you pumped movie is star wars because the fox fanfare comes up and i do miss that i miss the ritual of it then the lucasfilm logo then a long time in the galaxy and then we're off and there's this giant title goes bursting across the giant screen title crawl and then suddenly boom there'll be a ship right and we're in the middle of a story we're in the middle of an awesome story and it's just really bold. It asserts that what you're about to see is big and awesome and it matters and you should care. And 90% of that is John Williams telling you how much you should care. But it's also just the movie. You know, another example in Mad Max Fury Road, I like the, the credit says Tom Hardy as Max Rotosky or whatever his name is and Charlize Theron as Imperator Furiosa. And they both get a dual credit over the sound of like an engine revving or something like that. <laughs> and I think it's really cool because as an audience, we haven't seen Imperator Furiosa. We don't know who she is. Maybe we've seen a trailer. Charlie Theron has her head shaved. But the movie's like, you will remember who Imperator Furiosa is. That's her name. And you're going to want to know that. And you're going to want to know that Charlie Theron played her. And so we're just going to put those two credits up top because we're that confident mm-hmm. that these are, these are two iconic characters of cinema. Of course, 
they ended up being right, which is helps. You know, you can do that. And then nobody <laughs> remembers the movie and it seems really sh- stupid. But I love that. I, I just love that boldness. And that's what George Lucas invented. And that's what he does with these title sequences. And they're just great. I was just thinking about something we completely take for granted now about Star Wars. But hey, I missed it on Rogue One and Solo. Yeah, I think both of those movies suffer, particularly Solo in the early stretches, because it doesn't announce itself as a Star Wars movie. It actually loses a little bit of that Star Wars feeling, the Star Wars grandeur, the the mythology. You know, it just feels more like a regular movie. Yeah. Because it just doesn't have that, you are watching Star Wars. Well, it's on purpose because they didn't want to take away from watching Star Wars. Yeah. I suppose they were right, actually, when you put it that way. I don't know if they were right about Rogue One, though. I almost wish that that was, I don't know. We'll talk about it when we get to Rogue One. We have the title crawl. It says the new Death Star will spell certain doom for the Rebels. Why? Because it's a Death Star. I know, but the Rebels just like planet hop and they're this tiny consortium of people. Like, who cares if the Empire has a Death Star? Because the Empire is just going to start blowing up planets and crap. Yeah, I guess. But And as we learn in Rogue One, it doesn't just have to target and blow up planets. It can blow up a city. Yeah, that's true. Pretty powerful weapon. Pretty powerful weapon. And we see in Return of the Jedi, the Death Star decides to target a ship. The ship's done. doesn't matter what its shields and defenses are. The Death Star targets you. You are over. And so they're getting obliterated and they have to fly in and stay close to the Star Destroyers in order to protect themselves. Yeah, that's true. I guess they almost lost. Like their fleet was going to be demolished by the Death Star. And in fact, could have been demolished by the Death Star if... The Emperor wasn't just toying with Luke, you know. Do you like the fact that he went Death Star in this movie? It occurred to me everybody likes to make fun of J.J. Abrams and Force Awakens for doing the exact same thing as New Hope, but Lucas had kind of already done the exact same thing as New Hope Yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Should he have come up with a new MacGuffin or who cares? Just make it a Death Star. I never as a kid questioned it. So I just think we're talking kids movies here and Death Star is a cool name. Yeah, it's an awesome And name. a cool concept and an iconic look. And so who cares? But then again, I don't know. One of the things that we have been down on non-Lucas shepherded projects for is their lack of creativity. Right. And so maybe we ought to be a little critical of Lucas for some lack of creativity. I don't know. It's cool. You can't really argue with Vader's ship flying in and the music, the John Williams, you know, the yeah the empire theme pounding on the soundtrack as all the nazis line up and mm-hmm. i mean it, nothing says big scary evil like like that yeah vader's arrival pretty iconic yep now they don't have galen or so rigging a uh no he's dead he got what happened to him he just get shot by a stray bullet or did somebody he kill got, him he got blown up by a bomb from uh rebel forces an airstrike that's right that's right, because war is hell and things happen that are bad. And Yeah, you know, they hadn't heard from their ground team, so they sent in an airstrike and they couldn't call off the airstrike and he died as a result of the airstrike and dear Stardust's arms. His, yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about that one. And if the scheduling works out, we'll have Brandon come on and talk about that one because he, he, he asked, he likes that movie, I think. So Darth Vader walks down the thing with the guy. He says, the emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation, Yeah, which is pretty funny. I actually thought this scene is a good example. The emperor is not as forgiving as I am. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great line. line. And I just thought if the whole movie did that, 
where it's actually playing on a completely ironic level for adults and completely sincere for kids. It's being clever with its own mythology in a way that adults yeah. can appreciate. That would actually make this movie more fun because that scene is actually just fun. Yeah. Like you could just watch that scene as an adult and it's like, this is, this is clever. This is playing with what we know about these characters and who they mm -hmm. are and, and it's tongue in cheek, but it's also scary and big and vast. And it's in that Nazi. I just, what is it about Nazi iconography that's so. Well, see the Nazis were these people responsible <laughs> for the deaths of over 6 million people yeah, yeah, yeah. who threatened to take over the whole world and almost won. Yeah. And all of our grandpas. And at this time, all of our dads, you know, would have fought and bled to keep that from happening. Yeah. And so and it's kind of like this really big thing that happened yeah. that left an indelible mark on American culture. Well, there you go. Ask a smart question, get a smart answer. <laughs> 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 oh, man. No, I actually, I was inspired to look up some of those old Lenny Reffenstahl films, you know, uh, the Nuremberg events and stuff, the, the famous Nazi propaganda films. And there is something amazing about that architecture just the yeah. imposing i like somebody some quote i looked up said something about like we made the nazis made cathedrals but not cathedrals to god they were cathedrals without ornamentation so it's like where a normal cathedral like saint peter's or something would have ornamentation nazis built cathedrals to utility and to power so, and so they're all stark they're just stark yeah and and that everything about the empire it shares that kind of starkness. Yeah, and, and it's it's beautiful and it's terrifying and it's something that J.J. Abrams didn't even want to pretend to get away from. In the why would you? Yeah. If you were if you're raising up the first order, exactly in the wake of the fall of the empire, why would you get away from that? Oh, it's perfect. But Jabba's palace. Do you remember liking this part as a kid? So as a kid, what I remember liking is. Luke is back in black, baby. Yeah, like once Luke shows up, it's good. Yeah, like that's what you're waiting for. You're waiting for Luke to show up. You have this like thrill of excitement that this the name of this is Return of the Jedi and now we're going to get to see a Jedi in his full powers. Right. And so all of Luke's talk of don't underestimate me and so that actually feels pretty hollow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember as a kid being like, Oh man, he warned you, Java. Like you should have bargained, Java. <laughs> yeah, I, I like it when he says you should have bargained, Java. That's a good line. But then he follows it up with, "That's the last mistake you'll ever make," <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> which is not such a cool Jedi line. It's a little petulant there, still, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I'm sure the internet has had fun with this before, but what on earth was Luke's plan? Exactly, was it all part of the plan for each of his friends to come in and get captured, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then for? For R2-D2 to have his lightsaber the whole time so that he could rescue them all at the last... It's really stupid. Like, why didn't he, when he first showed up, just have R2 shoot him that lightsaber? I guess R2 wasn't there. Why didn't fair. he just have the lightsaber on his person? Well, I guess if the lightsaber was going to be taken away... I don't know, it wasn't that hard for Leia to smuggle in a thermal detonator! <laughs> I know, right? Like... <laughs> By the way, why didn't Leia, when she released Han from the Carbonite and then Jabba revealed himself and made her into his... Uh, Slave, why didn't she pull out her thermal detonator then? <laughs> <laughs> it did a lot of good earlier. <laughs> kind of got everyone's attention. She probably could have just pulled out the thermal detonator. Given how everyone reacted to it last time, she could have pulled it out and said, All I'm right, leaving we're now. leaving. I'm leaving with Han. Problem solved. Because we needed Luke to show up and have a slow burn toward 
the revelation of his Jedi powers and his new green lightsaber. Yeah, his new green lightsaber. Super cool. It is super cool. I'm so glad. And I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere that he was going to have a blue lightsaber, but it wasn't going to work against one of the, the backgrounds or, or something, something like, like it just wasn't the gonna, sky it wasn't gonna look good against something and so they i bet having it outside with the sky was gonna be a problem yeah but green lightsaber awesome i mean that's like the coolest yeah. lights green and red bad guy lightsabers and green good guy lightsabers are the coolest lightsabers as far as i'm concerned so yeah we got this long i remember this chunk being a little bit of a slog as a kid getting to the action scene with jabba yeah and i think i remember picking Jabba's up on super gross he is gross and i think my parents were always a little bit uncomfortable with it, particularly uh, you know slave girl leia and or so, the slave girl or the first slave the girl first slave girl yeah yeah and so you you have the discomfort of it feels a little bit illicit which we don't really need and fast forward that stuff you do fast forward to stuff with your kids to this day yeah this is who needs that stuff yeah really exactly. like what work is it doing except making it all feel gross yeah and that's that is the thing you know we said at the top these are you have to remember these are kids movies right. the dumb thing about the way that kids movies were approached in the 80s is well just let it be stupid but throw in some eye candy for the dads yeah it's it's, like the way that they tried to mitigate these kids movies for adults and it's like one way is actually the worst of all possible worlds yeah one way is actually make a good movie (laughs) yeah that a dad will enjoy another way is to know we're not going to appease dad on any kind of real level so we just throw in something something for daddy which is dumb Supposedly, the story they like to tell is that Carrie Fisher always complained that she never got to wear any good outfits. She always had to wear these white, shapeless outfits. She complained through So Return through of the Jedi is just like, all right, Leia. Yeah, Lucas was either punishing her or giving her what she... I think he was punishing her by giving her what she wanted. Like, okay, you wanted something a little bit more uh, flattering? Here little bikini. Better hit the gym. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. Now, we're going to make you change clothes again because... You're in the forest. It was interesting to me where that kind of stuff worked. Like you can have a torture chamber in a movie like this, like an oriental torture chamber, but it's droids. And so it tells that story, but tells it in a kid-friendly way. Mm -hmm. You can have the pervy squid guy say, De Wonga Wonga and kind of pet 3PO and you can get some vibes there, but like you don't even think of it as pervy. You just think like what I'm trying to say is you you can get everything that an old pulp story would have with its dark, mystical, oriental bad guy lair um which is all this is by the way this is super racist for all you critical theory people out there jabba's smoking a hookah in a pleasure palace in the desert with with like dancing girls and chains and guys uh fanning him with palm leaves lucas just does the old racist stereotypes but he does them with aliens and skates on by skates on by yeah watto the jewish money lender jabba the oriental slaver but there's places where they do a nice job with that but then they have to do the slave girls just uh i do like uh, how on on the nose it is when they're in the torture chamber and the guy says jabba did not like the old guy he was disintegrated and then we cut to the, the, the guy going ah as he just... <laughs> it's almost a comedy cut but not yeah. quite <laughs> because kids are invested enough in those robots to actually care and then we have probably the greatest line from all star wars which is you're a feisty little one but you'll soon learn some respect yeah i read the new york times review of this for some reason and that was, the guy said the movie sucked but he really liked that line <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah star wars is boring the first two were better but <laughs> Just the gesture. I'm sorry. I was making an a rude gesture. No, it wasn't. Ru- it was 
Well, maybe it is. This is what he does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Sorry. Not Just the, the way that the guy, the robots move is exactly. I the part where the robots are walking up to the wall. Think, oh, yeah, that's pretty great. That's great. Well, it, it's. I think we just have these. Or I do. I have these cultural memories from things like Wizards of the uh, Wizard of the Oz, Wizard of Oz, and me, like of characters walking up to walls. And Lucas just is always good with playing with that iconography. And the other thing that is worth saying about Jabba's palace, and I think throughout this entire story, is Lucas finds all these little ways to imbue some humanity in, in the least likely places and you see it when the rancor is killed yeah that's and you, great. you also see moments like that an ewok dies and they both you know take a blast and one goes over to the other one oh get up get up and you know mm, shaking him and- shaking him and comes to the sad realization that he's lost those moments in some ways they feel superfluous to us i say as adults right but i remember both of those moments really hitting me hard as a kid of like whoa like well, it's just little things that kids can relate to that they, they may not even on any rational level being relating. But I, I noticed like when when uh, 3PO is telling the story to the Ewoks, they yeah. went to the level of detail to have all these little baby Ewoks. And the baby yeah. Ewoks will kind of withdraw and be scared when we get to a yeah. scary part in the story. And just it's A, it's relatable human behavior. B, it's the kind of behavior that kids watching this movie might be engage you know they might be hiding their eyes or climbing yeah. behind the couch or running out of the room when the scary stuff happens and yep. we suddenly have little little puppets little bad teddy bear puppets that aren't expressive at all but are able to some the puppeteer just pulls them back and shakes them a little bit and suddenly we're telling a very human story about these puppets and yeah, yeah the rancor pit guys that's probably the best moment he, in the whole movie he's pretty awesome yeah <laughs> he's so he's sad crying <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we cut back to him twice, we actually spent a little time with that <laughs> yeah. that Rancor Pit guy. Well, the other thing that occurred to me about all this, we're talking about the genius of Lucas and bringing these things to life and finding human behavior that makes them pop. The first chunk of this movie is just styrofoam and plastic and metal. Like, that's all we're watching for a good, you know, there's a iron robot man translating for a styrofoam slug for a humanoid creature, you know, in whatever lay, like we're watching, we have we have no reference point in terms of, we have plenty of reference points because of the genius of how they bring these characters to life, but we're just watching a Muppet movie. Like there's yeah. no, there's no character, there's no humans for a lot, for long stretches of this opening. Yeah. Um, and it's really great. Although there's one thing that I just absolutely hate and it's always bothered me. Maybe the whole internet's bothered by this. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But the crappiest character in all of Star Wars, so bad, blue elephant piano man. (laughs) Flops his nose up and down. (laughs) Flops his nose up and down. That's such a bad creature design. I hate blue elephant piano man. Like, I don't think anyone who accepts blue elephant man can criticize Jar Jar or I don't think they can criticize anything (laughs) like blue elephant. I, I compare like there's were- werewolf man in the in the Moss Eisley Cantina where it's like we designed all these creatures and then we needed one more and we bought a werewolf mask from you know the uh, Halloween store yeah. and then Blue Elephant Man strikes me the same way every time he shows up in a shot it's just like why is this dumb little person wearing a Blue Elephant Man costume it really takes me out of the movie I really think they should have special editioned I would I would be for petitioning Lucasfilm to just special edition the Blue Elephant Man. And then I looked him up and he's the leader of the group. 
Blue Elephant maybe that's why they couldn't do it. Like he's the got Blue his Elephant own Man group. Blue Elephant Man. Yeah, the yeah, his name is he's Max Rebo. It's like Max Rebo and the Max Rebo 7 and Max Rebo is in fact the Blue Elephant, not the guy that they CGI'd in. Not the guy, not the watch a watch a shot guy. Huh. That guy's sliced noodles, I think. Or maybe sliced noodles is the chick, the CGI chick with the snout thingy. She has a a, a not insignificant role to play. Does she? Yeah, she's got she's got a story in Clone Wars. Really? Yeah. Is that sliced noodles? I don't you don't remember, remember what her name, name is. No, she was not. She's not that important. She's the or is she the lover of Zero the Hut? Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I don't think it's a good idea to become get romantically involved with a hut personally. I certainly the Leia huts are seemed, dangerous people. Leia seemed averse to the idea. What if you try to play the huts? I don't think that's a good idea either. Look at what happened it to Might Han Solo. not work out for you. No. Does she survive? I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna spoil okay, that. Okay. People that's need a to really find important out. thing. All right. Our audience is on the edge of their <laughs> seats right now. <laughs> Oh man! So she sings her song. Green Slave Girl falls in the pit. That's a not that I approve of Green Green Slave Girl, but it's nice the way that they set up the pit and the mm. things. You know, these are the kinds of things that new movies oftentimes just don't think to do. We need to show somebody else bite it first. So then, when Luke, you know, we, we know what's coming. We know what the formula is. Now let's see how C3, Luke gets up. Let's make C three PO the stand in for every kid in the audience. No, Master Luke, you're standing on the. Ah! <laughs> uh, there's more than one moment like that i don't remember what they are but there's some really bad <laughs> exposition lines and you know when she firsts your eyesight will return in time <laughs> here's an idea carrie fisher turn the scary voice off before he comes back alive yes but the audience needed to you know feel the same tension that han was feeling yeah just like we all needed to know for sure that it was actually Lando behind that mask. <laughs> so he needed to pull it down for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty bad. <laughs> it makes you appreciate the relative wit and elegance with which Empire Strikes Back. You know, people always say what Empire Strikes Back is a more witty and elegant movie. The way to really notice that is to then watch Return of the Jedi and see where some of that stuff is missing. Where they have to hit the same kind of story beats, but they figured out something just a little bit more. Hack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fights the Rancor. The Keeper's devastated. I don't know anything you want to say about the, the barge fight. We've already kind of talked about it. No, it's lame. Yeah. But it's fun if you're a kid. And Those guys, most of them are all uh, of a pirate clan. Right. So you know. Oh, there you go. What's, do we know the name of the pirate clan? Uh, well, the leader of the pirate clan in the past was a guy named Hondo Anaka, mm-hmm. who's still around at this time. Because he's, uh, yeah, he's probably still alive. Because he was alive in Rebels, which, you know, would have led up into these early stages. So, yeah, his name's Hondo Anaka. There you go. Luke kills a lot of unarmed people in this scene. That's what I was actually, it goes so fast. <laughs> but he grabs his lightsaber and it's like, there's just a bunch of people standing around. <laughs> he just, he's like he just, slaughters He them. just slaughters them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they deserved it. They were working for a hut, but, and they were about to push him into a sarlacc pit where he'd be slowly digested over a thousand find years a, find a new meaning of pain and torture or as whatever he was slowly digested over a thousand years yeah I, I think i remember as a kid being like 
whoa, how does it keep you alive for a thousand years while you... Which I'm sure has been explained in <laughs> books and uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, do we feel good about d- the dispatch, the humorous dispatch of, what's his face? Bounty Hunter Boba guy? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Is that lame or is that... It's pretty lame once you realize how awesome Boba Fett is, but... To me, it feels like George Lucas just never thought Boba Fett was that awesome. The fans did. And so by the time he did episode two... He was like, okay, people think this character's awesome, so I'm going to play with that. But when he made Return of the Jedi, it doesn't feel like he's playing with somebody that he cares about or thinks that anyone else... No, he just wanted to have another excuse to have a Boba Fett toy to sell. Right, exactly. It's a cool suit of armor. can be a cool toy, but he doesn't even deserve the dignity of a a good death. Yeah. Gosh, does George Lucas... Is that the reason why he had three different sub-villains in the the three movies? Just so he could sell three different sub-villain toys if we only have one darth maul then we can keep our old action figure but if darth maul dies then we have to buy a count dooku and then we have to buy a general grievous is that it's hard not to think that is george lucas that cynical it's hard not to think that he did go in for the rights from the beginning and knew that you know if he was going to take a million dollar hit on his title crawl Mm -hmm. you gotta make up that money somewhere yeah I guess so. So the Emperor arrives, and we've already talked about the Emperor a lot on these podcasts. We love the Emperor. The Emperor arrives before Luke goes to Dagobah. Oh, does Luke go to Dagobah first? Okay. Well, whatever the order is. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't. I I mean, it is like they're all there and they're leaving and- Don't forget the droids. Yeah, they get the droids and then they're all in the Millennium Falcon, but Luke and- That's right, R2. We're going to Dagobah. To see an old friend. See an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the lines where I was like, why is he saying this? Oh, because five-year-olds are watching. Yeah, I think then we cut to the Death Star. Yay, more Yoda. <laughs> yeah. So then we cut to the Death Star and then we come back to yeah. Okay. So Palpatine's disembarking. We finally see him. We finally see him. It's a little uh, disconcerted. Up with the hood. It's a little disconcerted to see him with a cane here. I mean, he's he's been so active and so proactive in, I guess it's been 20 years since... Yeah, he's got a little walking stick that he walks down the platform with. It was weird. Fun fact. It would not surprise me. Well, let me say that there is another former Sith Lord who uh, disguised his lightsaber as a walking stick. Why didn't he pull out his lightsaber? I guess he didn't need to. He never felt the need to actually go into lightsaber. But we assume he's still just as potent as he was in Revenge of the Sith. But he just, he doesn't even feel the need. He's going to zap Luke to death because... Well, and he wanted, you know... All his, I'm unarmed. Mm-hmm. You know, of course he's Palpatine. Right. Is he unarmed, really? No. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think Palpatine's just a very theatrical kind of guy. He just, he probably enjoys pretending to be an old man and then yeah. jumping into action when he needs to. He sure liked that with uh, Anakin. Worked, yeah. Worked to his favor there. Well, and he designs these giant, you know, he's he got his red office in the other movies, giant yeah. painted evil red, and now he's just got like a giant window, and apparently he just, when he knows... I like to imagine when Darth, when he hears he knows Darth Vader's on his way up, he runs over to his chair, gets in it, swivels it so that it's facing out, and then when somebody walks in, he can slowly, ominously swivel the chair. Because <laughs> there's a scene where if the music wasn't going, it would actually be kind of awkward of his chair 
just swiveling around so he can face Vader. And then when he's done talking to him, he swivels <laughs> slowly back. I like to think Palpatine. If Palpatine's the man I take him for, I think he just <laughs> he just enjoys <laughs> the, the melodrama. The theatrics of it, of it all. Yeah, he's got those red guards and some guard in a Russian hat for some reason. So, yeah, it's just, it's just part of his effect. The dark side uses deception and theatricality and... Well, so do the good Jedi, actually. Every, they, yeah, they, they all, all use deception. At least exactly. Obi-Wan does. Yeah, well, yeah. From a certain point From of view. From a certain point of view. <laughs> Yoda dies. Yoda dies. That's pretty sad. And actually, according to the lore, Yoda would have been able to manifest pretty quickly as a Force ghost. Yeah, I wondered about that. It wouldn't have made emotional sense, but it would have made logical sense. Yeah. You don't have to spend time getting your physical form in order. It almost kind of feels like if you just watch the movies because Obi-Wan doesn't immediately manifest as a ghost. He only kind of shows as a ghost and then a voice. Yeah, but the reason that he's able, the reason that when Obi-Wan and and Yoda, they just disappear and are fully integrated into the Force instead of having bodies left behind like other Jedi when they die is that they have already mastered this trick of connecting so much to the living Force that they can keep their consciousness and manifest as their... So why doesn't Darth Vader's body disappear if he's going to be able to do something? He's not mastered it, but you can master it after the fact, like Qui-Gon did. Okay. So Qui-Gon figured it out. Qui-Gon had the beginnings of it, and then he figured it out, and it took him a long time to figure it out. Then he taught it to Yoda and Obi-Wan. From beyond the grave. From beyond the grave. Who also seemed to have taught it to Luke. So it would be that Anakin would have had the beginnings of that ability of course he's the most powerful force user ever so. so is luke actually doing the same thing in the end of last jedi only he's still alive while he's doing it just making his some kind of corporeal version of himself manifest somewhere is it actually basically the same trick it's a different trick i think but it, it may be there, there may be some lore that explains how similar it is because if you're talking about connecting to the living force and manifesting your consciousness from beyond the grave then why couldn't you do that in real life, while you're alive, why couldn't you manifest your consci- consciousness in another place, in another mm-hmm. location? It is sort of similar, like... Maybe they're at least I like am, in the same Jedi manual. Except that when you're dead, you have to have a blue glow about you or something. Right. Well, why wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I know. Uh, I, did, does, did this scene actually make sense for you as a kid? I think as a kid, it the logic of the fact that La- when we last saw Yoda, he was saying, don't go confront your father. Yeah. And now with apparently not, now Luke's apparently awesome and the last thing he needs to do is go confront his father, but. Your training is already complete because you ran away and did a bunch of crap that I told you not to do. Right. And now your training is complete and now it's time to face your father. Oh, you already did. That's unfortunate. Yeah. No, it never made any sense to me as a kid. Now I just accept that a whole bunch of stuff has happened between these two movies that we didn't see that some lore masters out there have perfected. Yeah, but I don't understand. Like if Luke was doing such awesome stuff to get back, get into Jedi shape, why wouldn't he go straight back to Dagobah? Maybe he did. And we just don't know. He's actually done more training with Yoda. Yeah, maybe he did. He had to learn how to build his own lightsaber for goodness sake. And if you know anything about what that's like, that's like a whole thing. Got to get those kyber crystals. Got to go get your kyber crystal. You got to find the one that's calling to you personally. Mm-hmm. It's going to manifest something about your person. You've got to figure out how to put the lightsaber together. And if you don't do it right, it's going to explode and kill you. And there are these old, hundreds of years old masters of 
you know, lightsaber craftsmanship that probably all dead now, but like they had mastered all this stuff about how to do it just right and shows that you have achieved something when you've finally put together your lightsaber and it works and you get to see what color you are. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's, maybe that's all Luke did. Maybe that was what made him into, made him from a boy into a man was doing all that. Maybe Obi-Wan led them all in that journey. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I'm sure there is an answer, but nothing on earth would compel me to. Yeah, the lore masters have figured it out. Yeah. If and when they decide to let us know on the screen, they will. Yep. I don't know. I think it's fascinating how people, audiences, me, we will accept something in a movie if it makes emotional sense, even if it doesn't make logical sense. This Mm -hmm. is the part of the movie where Luke needs to be told to go confront his father, and it's in the third movie where it should happen. So I guess right we don't care you know i was like this is the part of the movie where spider-man gets his powers back that was one of i thought the weaker parts of the cgi spider-man movie that everybody loves whatever that thing's called spider-man into the spider-verse yeah just the idea that he's not going to be awesome until he is like that's a trope and it's one that they were intentionally playing with and they did a good job with it it's great movie wonderful movie masterpiece i didn't think that that aspect of it was the strongest thing but i don't know maybe i'm picky about these things because i'm picky about return of the jedi i i just think you are picky about those kinds of things i think that's a good trope for a reason and i think you've learned the lesson so now you're awesome well and the way that they did it was actually about him and his dad right which is a good fun different spin to put on that kind of thing you know lot not a lot of movies in that make it about connecting with your dad right in that moment. That was nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Uh, very good movie. Recommend it. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but people should watch it's it. It's still on Netflix. If it's not, you should just buy it. Yeah. It's one of the few movies that I think it's an almost perfect superhero movie. It's practically perfect in every way. So he talks to Yoda. Ben Kenobi shows up. They have a conversation. It's more gobbledygook. You're going to find, Luke, that... So a lot of the true, so many of the truths that we hold, that we cling to, depend on your point of view. Yeah. I remember a mutual friend of ours who was my youth group leader 15, 20 years ago. I remember him saying very sadly about that scene, you know, that point of view stuff. That's when the Star Wars philosophy started to go off the rails. <laughs> this was 15 years ago, but I remember <laughs> laughing at it. I was a high school kid, but I remember probably laughing in his face. <laughs> oh, that's where. I'm glad you pinpointed it. <laughs> Can you show me where it was on the rails? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, We've been looking I'm at sorry, a train wreck. I love you. No, no, no. We love this person if yeah. they're listening. And I think this person would laugh at themselves now, which I is why. I think he probably even then would have laughed at himself. He just, you know, he just said something that was silly, just like we all do from time to time. My fa- favorite bit of Alec Guinness acting, Luke says, I can't kill my own father. And Alec Guinness just throws his hands up like, okay, dude. <laughs> then the emperor has already won. Yeah. Just, <laughs> I think it's probably, if I had to guess, it's like he was green screen acting. So he didn't know the key, wasn't able to calibrate off of. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> which, is, which is one way to play that scene. But then Jake, I wanted to ask you, based on Clone Wars, based on everything. Yeah. Did Yoda and Obi-Wan actually learn the lessons that they needed to learn because obi-wan it's really stuck it's based on everything you've told me in episode after episode and off mic the mic about the jedi and clone wars are really they're really presented as these buddhists who are corrupt and the fact that they want to make anakin bury his feelings and everything isn't good so 
Ben Kenobi says, says, uh, bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit, but they could be made to serve the Emperor. This is an Obi-Wan that has become a more integrated Obi-Wan in terms of his understanding of feelings, or is our Yoda and Obi-Wan, they really didn't learn anything and they just still want to make Buddhists and they're stupid? This is just the inconsistencies that we have to live with, I think. There are no inconsistencies. <laughs> if I were trying to retcon it and harmonize it all, the way that I would do it is I would say, well, what he was actually telling him to do is not to, uh, but it doesn't work. But if you don't find a way to hide this truth about your sister, they'll read that she exists. Right. And then they'll, so I would make it more about uh, his ability to hide right. the existence of Leia from the Emperor and from Vader and less about you need to not love your sister and, you know, bury your feelings deep or whatever right. like that. He does say your feelings do you credit. Yeah. So, whereas it feels like the Yoda of episode three would have said, like, your feelings are stupid. You should yeah. just not have feelings. I guess the place where that does fall apart is Vader quickly does a mind read thing that Kylo Ren can do without, but he has to, like, wave his hand over your face or something mm -hmm. and pretend he's drawing it out of your head. Instead, Vader can... You know, just intuit it. Right. But Palpatine's whole shtick was your friends, your sister, your friends, your sister, your friends, your sister. And, you know, that we'll turn your sister to our side was really important moment for Luke. It's all gobbledygook. Yeah. Because there are only so many things that can be done to harmonize a mess of gobbledygook. And this is a movie of gobbledygook. So. I don't believe that for a second, Jake. I think this is modern day war and peace. It all makes sense. We're just not cool enough to get it. You may not be qualified to talk about War and Peace then. I may not be qualified to talk about Star Wars. That's what I'm saying because <laughs> I can't even explain. It's over your head. Yeah, yeah, it's over my head. <sighs> okay, so we go to the briefing. We meet Mon Calamari or whatever her name is. Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. We meet the guy that looks like Calamari. What's his name? Admiral uh, Akbar. Admiral Akbar. And many Bothans died to get us this information. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best delivered lines in all of Star Wars. Yeah, she kind of looks to the side and... <laughs> Many Bothans died. To guess. <laughs> I just, I, I felt for the actress. She had a stupid line <laughs> and she, she tried to give it something like we should be sad about these Bothans. You know, she tried to, <laughs> you know, it's just like at least James Earl Jones, when he steps into the recording booth, he might not be saying anything all that profound, but he's going to say things that basically make sense and are dignified. You know, I am your father is could be a line in dick and jane but it's still a line that a normal person might say <sighs> the bothans not so much and then we i don't know how do you feel about the second act of worst in, worst act in star wars history worse than episode two anakin falls in love with padme act um yeah really that's, I'm gonna step that's out high on criticism the, i'm gonna step out on that limb for the sake of interest and argument let's do it the second act i guess we mean everything with them sneaking around on the moon on the forest moon of indoor yeah. yeah it's the death of the han solo that you love yes it is silly escapades with, in the woods with teddy bears with teddy bears it's leia deciding to change into a princess gown and redo her hair it's c-3po as a god Luke's like, go along with it, go along with it, go along with it, go along with it. We're all going to submit to being tied up and roasted over a fire because Luke keeps saying, go along with it. Mm -hmm. 
we're just supposed to trust that it's all going to work out well in the end. And it does because, you know, now the teddy bears save the day. But Make the members of the tribe just what Han Solo always wanted. Long and drawn out and snoozeworthy and completely stupid, especially once you realize that you are the general mm-hmm. who's leading this expedition and there are a whole bunch of troops that are just out there. Oh, yeah. It's really dumb. Doing nothing. And there are a whole bunch of people in the sky that are depending on you getting this job done Mm -hmm. and they're going to be slaughtered. And in fact, they are slaughtered because you took, it's just like every aspect of it. And, you know, it has a sort of karmic good ending, like, oh, it actually turned out to be a trap. And therefore, you know, good thing that they had the teddy bears because if they didn't have the teddy bears, it wouldn't have happened. But it was just like such a cumbersome, absolutely 100% non-inevitable Right. <laughs> Plot construction that is just like, well, it's a, I will give it this. I don't know whether I even believe this, but let me try it. It is a nice conceit. I don't particularly care for the execution, but it's a nice conceit that native peoples with heart defeat, like all the technology of the Galactic Empire fell because some people with spears cared enough to stand against it. That's a nice narrative conceit, I guess. Maybe. Some people with spears. Some teddy bears with spears. <laughs> Liked Leia's candy bar. Yeah. And thought she was cute. Okay, so it's a thought that very the bad robot e- was a god. It's a very bad execution. <laughs> well, this is, another, a- this is another racist trope, right? These are pygmies from an old serial. These are adorable right. native peoples that we can manipulate into doing what we want by pretending to be their white savior. This is like old 30s Tarzan movies would have this kind of thing all the time. And Lucas just does it, does it shamelessly, and does it in a context where you don't feel bad about it. And I'm not saying that you should feel bad about it, but... It's pretty goofy. Yep. And I don't know. Kids like it. I don't know. Did your kids, do your kids check out on any of this stuff or are they just into it? It's hard to say when you have a hard time keeping awake for that. For yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. It was a snooze. I may have hit the fast forward button a couple of times. I did not need to see Wicket meet Princess Leia and hit. Oh, you know his name. Yeah. Wicket. Warwick (laughs) Davis. Willow. Is that Warwick Warwick Davis? Yeah. He played Wicket. Kenny Baker, who played R2, was going to play Wicket, but he was sick that day. So. Like 11-year-old Warwick Davis got to play Wicket. So it's kind of a sweet story, but huh. it's, and then he became Willow and became one of the more famous little person actors, I guess. But yeah, kind of a sweet story, but does not make for Professor, a sweet. Uh, Professor somebody, what is his name? Flitwick. Flitwick, no. yeah, it yeah. is Flitwick. Flitwick. Wow, yeah. I can't believe I pulled that. Yeah, I like the cost, the complete retconning of his costume design. Like they did it in the first two stupid movies and then they redone it, did it for the... Yeah, he had he w- he had a whole lot of like face stuff uh, yeah, going yeah. on in the early movies, and then they came back and just let him be himself with a mustache. Yeah, he just he decided to clean himself up. Maybe he met a girl. <laughs> who, who knows what's going Lost on in Flitwick's life? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Can we talk a little bit more about? Okay, so the bike scene through the trees is cool, I guess. Sure. Although, what an impractical mode of transportation oh for the Empire to be using in a forest. As is proved by the death of several of their... uh, Nearly all of them. That's a fun scene. It's fun. It's a fun scene for kids because every one of those, they managed to come up with five different ways for five different bad guys to wipe out. The guy gets slammed against the tree. The guy goes spinning and, you know, it's the kind of care and detail that they do put into these movies. But Han Solo just, he is so mad. I can't believe he stepped on that twig (laughs) just to set up an action scene like, and then he's petulant when Leia won't tell him what's going on. He should have died. And Harrison Ford begged for him to die. 
said, narratively speaking, there's nothing for him to do in a third movie. Don't do this to me. Lawrence Kasdan, same thing, said, there's nothing for this character to do. Don't keep him around. But George Lucas knew what he wanted and he got it. And maybe it makes some kids happy to still have Han Solo. But narratively, those other two men were right. There's nothing the for character, him to do but to become a doofus. But, but to become a doofus. And, it's, and I just, Harrison Ford's so good. I've talked about it before, like in Indiana Jones. He can be in the middle of crazy things and make them plausible just by being cool and being Harrison Ford. This is maybe the one Harrison Ford movie I could name where maybe some of the old, maybe like, you know, Hollywood homicide or something, but classic era Ford. This is one of the only things I could name where he just seems a little bit actually embarrassed by it. It doesn't feel like he wants to be there. You know, some of those scenes with Chewie or like there's that scene with Lando where he's sad, you know, I want you to take her. And then Lando's like, okay, she won't get a scratch. And then Harrison Ford's like, now remember, you said not a scratch. Not a scratch. Like, it's such a bad, bad writing, but Harrison Ford on his A game can actually bring something that like that to life. It doesn't feel like he <laughs> cares enough to even try. I just, I think in my version, I'm going to say Boba Fett lost him. He was destroyed on the way to deliver to Jabba, but he wanted to deliver something to Jabba. So he went to the clone. Camino. Camino had a clone made. The problem is the clones have to undergo a lifespan. You can speed it up a little bit with some growth hormones and stuff, but still. they got a ton of that growth growth hormone. It was like we're going to say it took him a year to del- while Luke was off getting his lightsaber and training. Took him a year to deliver Han Solo actually. So he growth hormoned him up and froze him in carbonite. And we've got a Han Solo that retains some of the memories, but is also just uh, dumb and docile. And exactly the way that the Camino people were were working on. Hmm. Well, that's one way to do it. That's the only way that makes sense. Star Wars is great again. Makes Star Wars great Leia again. Leia marries him because she's still in love with the real Han Solo and fathers an evil child and then realizes, crap, this guy actually sucks. Yeah. And leaves him. Well, it does feel a little bit like, wow, once you meet a woman that you like, you suck. You're just domesticated and you're like, you can tell Luke, like, and and now Leia's gonna get to say, "I know." Yeah, Lo- losing your mojo there, Solo. I don't care for it. I don't care for it at all. I, you know, on the other hand, these are kids' movies, and they like Han Solo, and they wouldn't have wanted him to see him die. So, give everybody a happy ending. Give everybody a happy ending. I guess that's the argument, and it's probably better than my argument. But as, as an adult, I felt bad for Harrison Ford. You know, the one scene where I really felt like he was having fun with his own impotence was when he first sees Chewie and he has this long yeah. dialogue. Everybody's got delusions of grandeur. Yeah. Where you realize this actor is just talking to some dumb guy in a costume that... Mayhew. Yeah, Mayhew, who's just a- only able to make those noises. And he's bringing a lot to that relationship that... Yeah. <sighs> so, bike chase is cool. Racist pygmies. Luke and Leia on the bridge. Are you happy with Luke, Leia being Luke's sister? I guess we should talk about that. I suppose it's so inevitable given what the prequels did. and It's kind of a pretty hard thing to question at this point. Right. It's like, well, we need to feel good about Han and Leia ending up together and having a happy ending while Luke is our actual hero. We need for there to be even more leverage with Luke. I don't know. I think in my version... Han Solo sacrifices himself for the cause and Luke and Leia can just get together. But nobody is watching my version because I didn't make Star Wars. 
And then you got the ending. I don't know. What do you think about the ending? I guess the every kid on the playground would argue this was the best movie because it's got a giant awesome space battle, a giant awesome lightsaber battle, and a giant awesome forest battle that are being cross-cut between. Do you think it holds up for a non-kid? For a non-kid? Yeah. Like, did you, do you still get anything out of it or is it just kind of passing the time? It's fine. It's not as exciting as it was when you were a kid and- you know, you've had a hundred thousand space battles between now and then that are cooler and cooler lightsaber battles. And when I was a kid, Independence Day was the aerial battle movie to beat. Like, I just thought those aerial battles were so cool and easy to follow and fun to imagine yourself being in a plane fighting the alien, you know, the dogfights. Yeah. I mean, Top Gun was hard to beat. Top Gun. Yeah. I, th- I thought you might say that. I was, I only ever saw Top Gun once to your 50 times 50 seems pretty conservative to, to be your, honest to your many many t- repetitions of top gun i don't know whether it did a star wars a service or not but return of the jedi feels to me like it sets a certain template which is that the ending to a big movie like this has to have at least three different things going on you know your your average marvel movie your average big action tent plate we can't just have one fight we have to have three fights we have to have and, and lucas did it and it's something of an innovation I and mean, it's a cinematic innovation the idea of cross-cutting the idea that you could actually have two parallel things going on is not necessarily intuitive or at least it wasn't as first it's if you've ever heard of uh, birth of a nation famous racist movie from 1915 really codified the idea of you watch that movie you wouldn't even notice it now but things like the evil slave is going to rape the virginal heroine and he's menacing her and then we're cutting to the clan riding furiously to come and save the day like that was an innovation back then you know the idea that we could have two different things going on we could put them together to make some kind of dramatic sense out of it and lucas would have been not just aware of that and using it intuitively but he would have he would have known birth of a nation he would have thought we should do that like we should we but what I really want for my big battle at the end is different planes of action happening at the same time. I want this epic space battle to be happening. And depending on what's happening on the moon here, and I want all of that tension to be playing out while the emperor is, your friends are going to die. And yeah, what really matters is Luke and Vader. So what really matters is the psychodrama between the son and the father, but kids aren't going to handle it if we just have that. So let's have explosions and teddy bears to intersperse it with. It's pretty smart, pretty cynical in in a certain sense, pragmatic at least. Like we we can't just tell the adult story. I get a little tired of it in things like Force Awakens where it's like, okay, cool. The CGI people gave us a space battle. I don't really care about that. I want to be on the ground with the people that I actually do care about. That's good. That's fine. Anything to say about Luke and Vader and all that kind of stuff? The Emperor? Well, I guess we're going to find out if the Emperor actually miscalculated or not. Mm, good question. Because the Emperor that we know brought down the entire Order of the Jedi and the entire Republic, established galactic supremacy, then botched it with this half-trained kid named Luke and miscalculated on Vader and miscalculated Luke, or did he? I don't even know what is... Is it good for one Sith Lord to tell a potential apprentice that he wants him to be his apprentice in front of his other the, apprentice the when way, there could be only two? The way the Sith work is they invite the challenge. 
So it, Darth Vader is actually supposed to be happy with Darth. Pal- Darth Palpatine. Vader is actually supposed to be trying to kill Palpatine and supplant him. That's the way that the rule of two works. Yeah. So if Palpatine knows that, then why would he bring Luke in and say, "Hey, I really need you to start channeling your dark side"? Isn't that going to threaten? Even apart from the the off chance that Anakin turns good, isn't that going to threaten Palpatine's relationship with Vader in a way that? Yeah. Well, that means that Vader dies, and that's good because now he's got a more powerful number two who can challenge him and push him to greater heights of cis supremacy. But I guess my point is. Would Vader be okay with that? And would Palpatine anticipate him being okay with ushering Luke in, telling Luke to get his dark side act together? If, if Vader is a true Sith Lord, then Vader should want the challenge. The challenge against him? Yeah, yeah for the same reason that Palpatine actually wants the challenge. Palpatine wants, always wants, the strongest, the second strongest person in the galaxy to be challenging him for supremacy. And it's a keep your enemies close Cultivate a strong enemy and keep him as close as possible is the mentality of the Sith. He wants, it's expected that your apprentice is going to try to kill you Mm. and supplant you. And that's seen as a good thing. That's what they want. So I know I'm just asking the same question in different ways, but why doesn't Palpatine think to himself, gee, if I bring Luke in, then Anakin might just turn around and stab me in the back first chance he gets which will be pretty easy for him if there's two of them that are united like isn't the chance of them uniting against him even for a moment pretty high so i think that given that even if anakin doesn't repent it behooves him to kill palpatine and this is something that palpatine's expecting why would he deal with the idea of a second apprentice in front of anakin because either he's got some other 3d chess game going on that we're we're about about to find find out out. that might be cool or because he loves the chaos and he doesn't care and he's that arrogant. He's just that. If he's that arrogant, I don't even know how he survived this long if he's so assured of his own. Well, come on, man. He, if anybody has a right to be arrogant, it's the guy who took down the, the Jedi Order that goes back for thousands of years mm-hmm. and upended the entire, did the one thing that no Sith Lord could ever do, which is establish total galactic supremacy. He is the guy. Mm-hmm. He's unmatched in his power. He cannot be beaten. He's handled multiple Jedi in a fight at once before. Like, and so if Anakin and Luke both turn on him, no big deal. He could kill both of them if he needed. He could to. handle them both. Well, apparently not, because he got thrown down a a trash can, thrown into a trash can. So either that was all part of the plan and we're about to find it out. Down to building incredibly dangerous reactor things in his yep. throne room. Uh-huh. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> or he made his one mistake, which is he really thought that he had fully won the day with Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. He just thought Anakin was so whipped that. Yeah. He could laugh while Anakin was being lightsabered to death and then turn around and Good, kill. good. good, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then turn around and kill his son in front of him. Yeah, that is the, the classic Anakin, uh, Palpatine joy that he takes. He says, and now, young Skywalker, you die. And then he just allows himself a little, <laughs> a little grin. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he's doing what he loves best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to see what we do here. Yeah. With this. Do you want three three D chess? Three D chess yeah, takes away from the 
I don't care. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Palpatine's my favorite character. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> He's the best character in all of Star Wars. <laughs> I don't even mind if he just won. <laughs> it was all part of the plan. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, maybe we'll see Kylo and Rey team up to knock him down. But I just said Kylo and Rey. Yeah, that was right. My, my non-negotiable is that somehow... It has to be the Anakin Skywalker story. It has to be the Anakin story. Anakin has to be involved in the final conflict. He has to be involved. It has to be him. From beyond the grave, somehow or another, it has to be Anakin. I don't care. If it's Luke, I'm, I am not having it. If it's Kylo and Rey in a team that doesn't include or includes Anakin in a small bit role, I'm not having it. It has to be the Anakin story because this is all all the Anakin story. And if you are trying to, to retcon and say Lucas was wrong, it was never the Anakin story and he tried to make it the Anakin story and he failed and it's actually a different story, then I hate you. <sighs> this is the Anakin story. He is, in fact, the chosen one. Luke is not the chosen one. Anakin is the chosen one. I'm all for it. I will be very disappointed if they don't do that and very pointed if they do. I hope that's what they do. And I hope personally that it's very much negotiable, but if they can just have him, Anakin, inhabit that black robot suit one more time. We'll see. We may see the black robot suit, but it'll be like Palpatine's ghost inside of it. That'd be kind of cool if everybody was fighting the black robot suit, but... But all of a sudden there was the cackle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the... <laughs> so Matt Smith confirmed. Matt Smith, the Doctor Who guy? Yeah. Confirmed part or... He's confirmed to be in the film. Interesting. After denying that he was in the film hmm. for months and months and months. So what does that tell you, if anything? Uh, it tells me one of two things. I have two two guesses. Uh, one, the super cool guess that probably won't happen is that he's Thrawn. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to bring Thrawn into this. Yeah, it'd be just uh, too many... Too many, too too many, many cooks, cooks in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. yeah, We've got to have all of our... All of our ghosts have to be in it we've got the emperor in it we've got you know our whole t- the team it's just a lot to try to introduce thrawn what i think we've got probably is a, a knight of ren that's gonna get i think i think in our i think in our uh predictions episode i made a ghostbusters 2 reference that mm-hmm. went unexplained where vigo jumps out of the painting and inhabits ray ray the ghostbuster Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You said Ray, and if somebody didn't know didn't exactly what they might have just assumed Ray, the girl from yeah. the new trilogy. Yeah, so uh, Matt Smith could be, you know, inhabited by a Palpatine like thing or play a, you know, um, an embodied Palpatine of some some form. That's a, that's the other option. I could see that. I Ah, man, I love Palpatine so much, though. I want to see Ian McDermott as Palpatine, not as a voiceover, not as a he can inhabit somebody for a little while, but I want to see him actually, you know, in his robe, fully be laughing. Yeah, and I want to see him with two lightsabers that he drags along the ground. Ah, that'd be really cool. Which is what he does in his lightsaber battles in Clone Wars. Yeah, I watch those. He carries two and he drags them on the ground yeah, ominously, just, just, to, just to mess with people. Yep, it's awesome. He's a good man. All <laughs> hail <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else? Is there anything to say? I I was tempted to ask, like, what is it about Luke's fight against his father that? Okay, fine. 
what is about Luke's <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we should say something about it, but uh, okay, let's just say it. So if somebody has never thought about it, if you needed to explain to one of your kids why it was so moving or whatever that Luke and Vader fought each other and that Luke had to take on his father, how would you explain it? Kids, there's this guy named Carl Jung, mm-hmm. and he wrote a book. And then there was a guy named Joseph Campbell, and he wrote a book. And that's all you need to know. Something about the eternal subconscious of something or other. But what is the, I guess the question is, what is the archetype that we're actually playing with? Does everybody want to kill their father? Um, everybody has to face down their father. Yeah. And face down their father and themselves, the good and the bad. And come to terms with who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. And this is what's set up an empire is Luke is the one inside the Vader suit. And then Luke realizes that Vader is his father and he's got to deal with his own demons, his own pull to the dark side, his own commitment to believe that, you know, there is, there has to be good in you and I can save you. And if I can't save you, I'll save my sister and all this stuff. It hits on... A subconscious level, just because, you know, we're all one way or another trying to live up to or beyond our dads. And it's on a conscious level because we're all trying to live up to and beyond our dads, right. you know? Well, and you know, Vader says, it is too late for me, my son, when we all like to believe anybody with a bad dad or for that matter, a bad mom or a bad friend or a bad cousin, you know, that oh, that yeah. that in the middle of the night, when you're when you're facing your demons and you're just being really honest with each other or with yourself, you you want to still have hope for those people yep. in your lives. You want to think that there's something that meant something there and that there's something that's redeemable and something that can be snatched from the fire. Yeah. And you want to think that you could be the one to do it. And you don't always get those victories with in real life, but you rarely do. You in fact, yeah. You mostly don't. But you know, I imagine for many people, it's very cathartic to just think, um, and of course, I'm. when I say many people, I mean me. Um, <laughs> I imagine for many people, just academically speaking, to think that you could face down what's evil in your father and redeem what's good. And win. And win, yeah. yeah. It's, and, and not just... I'm going to save you, father. You already have. Yeah. Tell your sister you right. <laughs> you know, who wouldn't want to hear that My from their dad crying. on their, their deathbed, you know? Um, My kids are crying, crying, because they realize this is Anakin. Mm -hmm. This is their Anakin right here. Yeah. You know? And then, man, is it reinforced when Hayden Christensen shows up. Good job, Lucas. Good job, George Lucas. You did the right thing. Yeah, you really did. I I don't care. Haters hate. Go ahead, hate. Haters gonna hate, as as another great artist told us. You could argue about whether Lucas should have ever tried to retrofit his original trilogy into a larger myth, but given that that's what he did, let's let him do it. You know, given that we have prequels at all, which I'm, I'm happy for. Uh, maybe we can, so we're going to go on to the new stuff, but we're kind of, we're kind of finishing up our Lucas era Star Wars here. And my takeaway is I'm glad that Lucas did it. And a lot of it's really crappy and dumb, but it's a lot of fun to talk about and it's a lot of fun for kids and it's got a lot of fun themes that can be resonant and it actually is all of a piece in a way that works. It can be very silly, but it basically works. And that's, we're going to quickly, I think get to talking about some star Wars movies where that is not the case. 
you can you can quibble with the stupidity of having Hayden Christensen and Anakin show up, but what you can't quibble with is that given the story of these six movies, it actually makes emotional sense. Yep. We're going to get to movies where they wouldn't even think to have any ghost show up because they're just not telling a story that even makes sense. And I don't know, give Lucas a little credit. He His ambition or his, what, his execution out, what am I trying to say? His, what's the phrase I ambitions want here? Ambitions outpaced his execution. Or? His ambitions outpaced his ability, but. Isn't that the case for everybody? Isn't that the case for everybody? Except for podcasters who do great podcasts, because I think this was exactly the podcast we wanted. I mean, how could how could you have hoped for more? How could, better? How could you have hoped for more or better? We managed to dodge the Rancor pit and and the Sarlacc pit and the Sarlacc pit. That's right. There's two pits. I think it's. I think if we called it the Rancor Lair, the Rancor Lair, that makes a little that allows us to differentiate that. Now we are it's definitely the Sarlacc pit. I don't know. Yeah. That's kind of a pit that he falls. You no, know, it's definitely a pit. I'm not trying to say it's not a pit. I'm just saying if we want to differentiate, if we want to differentiate. I don't know if they call it the Rancor Pit in the film, uh, but they probably, definitely call it the Sarlacc Pit. So maybe I should have said he falls into the pits, both Rancor and Sarlacc. There you go. Or we avoided falling into the pits, both Rancor and Sarlacc, and now we are celebrating with teddy bears. By the way, thank you, Special Edition, for showing the universe celebrate. I like that. The CGI is a little wonky, but. Teddy bears celebrating, even as a kid, never seemed like a big enough thing for now, the galaxy. We have all free. these other worlds, so we might as well use them, right? Yeah. You can quibble with this or that. We might not have needed the Gunga Gungan. We so free. But I think it's a nice thought. Especially and if you have watched the prequels recently, it's like, oh, hey, it's that place. They're happy to be free too. Good yep. for them. Sanity of the movies produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Until next time. Actually, by the way, I should say, if you're watching with us, uh, Rogue One is next. And until next time, tell your sister you were right. <laughs>